Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources today. I'm Doug Wright, and we were reading, yes, in the New York Times. Even the, even the president was somewhat warm toward the, uh, not in a bad way. <laughs> warm can mean several different things. But uh, he uh, was warm to an article in the New York Times that he felt uh, fell into his side of, uh, of an issue. But this one from the Times says, Trump slashes refugee cap to 18,000 curtailing U.S. role as a haven. And apparently what has happened, the administration has said that they will only accept 18,000 refugees during the next 12 months. That's down from the current limit under President Trump of 30,000, and it's a mere fraction of the 110,000 that President Barack Obama left office with. And uh, there there's, have been some real harsh reactions to this. Uh, Jennifer Syme, uh, who is uh, quite active in religious and humanitarian groups, said the order broke with 40 years of precedent and said, quote, this measure completely ignores the welcome that communities have provided to refugees, as well as the important contributions resettled refugees have made to these communities all across the country. There were even stronger words. Reverend John L. McCullough, who is president of World Church Service, that's a resettlement agency, he said, quote, with one final blow, the Trump administration has snuffed out Lady Liberty's torch and ended our nation's legacy of compassion and welcome. As you can tell, uh, there are a lot of emotions in this one, and we thought that it would be interesting to reach out here in the state of Utah, talk about refugees in our state, what effect this might have on them, and the director of the Good Samaritan Program, uh, Amy uh, Wiley, has worked with Governor Herbert at the state's Refugee Service Office. And Amy, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to talk on this subject. How does Utah stand right now when it comes to refugees? Are we receiving quite a few? And I want to get into some of your personal experiences. You've been out there. You've been in the trenches. You've seen this up close and personal. But first, where does Utah stand? Are we one of the more welcoming and accepting states of refugees? Well, I would say... Without question, we have a reputation in this country as being one of the most welcoming. And I think that goes hand in hand with us being also uh, always listed in the top in volunteer hours given. Mm -hmm. And so I think the two uh, come very close together. But yes, we are, we are known 
for being welcoming. And my time in the state refugee office uh, about six, seven years ago, uh, I was there six years. We developed programs that we felt like uh, were unique in the country. And we had a lot of people from outside the state come to see what we were doing in such an innovative, creative way. But much of that was a result of the countless volunteers that would come out to support uh, whatever initiative was being introduced. And that is 100% non-denominational. And uh, over the years that I have worked, uh, I find myself, um, my closest friends are not people from uh, a neighborhood, uh, you know, ward, but by far the relationships I've built with others outside where we come together in this common and very, very um, emotional and binds us together. The friends I've uh, formed over the last 15 years through work at the state and community work and through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are people that will be in my heart forever. So I have to say from the start that for most of us, this isn't a political issue. This is a very personal issue. Uh, We don't look at it in terms of um, it being a call that we just must fulfill, you know, our allotment of hours in a, a volunteer sense. When you get engaged in this work, the people we're working with become our friends, our family. And that makes it personal, not just for us, but for them. And my life has been altered significantly. I'm who I am today because of my work with former refugees. Every day I get up, I have a baseline that is just always there on if this is going to be a good day or a bad day. And that baseline comes from experiences of my good friends that always put me, I better be on the upside of that baseline because I have no reason to complain or to be hurt. So it's it's not political, Doug. It isn't. It's personal. And people are doing it because of personal reasons, not for political reasons. You know, it's interesting as you were describing your experiences and these friends now. I, I, I was having lunch with uh, Governor Huntsman years ago. And uh, he took me to his favorite lunch spot, which at that time was the taco stand by Sears. And we were uh-huh. sitting there eating the trio of tacos, you know, sitting there on that little cement bench. And we're having yep. a great conversation about various things. And all of a sudden, somebody came up, interrupted our conversation, said, Governor, you've got to take this phone call. It was the governor of Louisiana. And uh, they were asking if Utah, we always think of refugees often being outside of our borders. Governor Huntsman was asked if perhaps Utah would consider taking some of the refugees after the horrific hurricanes and the floodings and everything else that yeah. had been going on in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I saw Governor Huntsman drop everything, including me, and said, I've got to go. We've got to deal with this. I'm sure you'll forgive me. And, man, he was back in that uh in that, uh, you know, black suburban and back in his office dealing with this. And it was just a couple of days later, maybe a week later at, at the most, that we did my broadcast that day from Camp Williams as those folks mm-hmm. were welcomed. I remember that. They were I welcomed into that. the state of Utah. And I, I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I saw Governor Huntsman just immediately go into full compassion, full cooperation, full accommodation mode in just 
you know, a couple of uh, words heard over a telephone receiver sitting there eating a taco in front of, of Sears. When you have been out to some of these refugee camps, what do you see out there? How acute is the problem? Well, that was probably uh, a great paradigm shift for me because initially uh, meeting refugees was new. I, I hadn't spent uh, years. I, I'm not sure I understood the definition when I first met my first friend, What a, the definition of a refugee. And so it was several years before I visited uh, some camps on the Thai-Burma border, and then we traveled into Uganda and Rwanda and into Juba, South Sudan, which I feel... There are few people that have been into Juba to see the desolation there. And that gave me a new perspective on their life here. Because at that point, when I would go visit a newly arrived family, their needs are great. There's fear in their eyes. There's sickness, including homesickness. And for me, at one point, it was like, are they really happier here? Is this better? They're so sad. It, It broke my heart to see their sadness. Then you go into these places that they are kept, you know, with barbed wire in some cases. They're not allowed in and out of the camps. And what I realize is they really don't even have a vocabulary word for hopes and dreams. They've been denied even the, the very, very basics of life to have the privilege of having a hope and dream. And so I came back from those experiences, those trips, uh, renewed, knowing that this work is hard. I don't continue doing this because it's easy and that I get a, you know, a little bit of a uh, reward of doing a, a project. I really come back to it because it's hard. Um, it's that part about being hard that compels me to not walk away. But when you see the alternative, and we see it on the news, um, I think that the news shows so much right now of a part of the world where they're desperately exiting their countries and getting on rafts. But we have kind of forgotten that there are, you know, millions of people in refugee camps where life just stopped. I mean, they physically age, but their life stopped. And so uh, refugee living in a refugee camp is, is barely living. And I feel fortunate to be one of those few that I've, I've witnessed that and I've seen it firsthand right. and know that they don't have an expectation of having anything better where they are. If, if I could, so if, this if, is their hope. If I could ask one final quick question, because the, the what, what prompted this conversation was President Trump and his administration knocking the number down, not only from where President Obama had it at 110,000, but then down to 30,000 and now down to 18,000. I'm no mathematician, but I quickly did a little, and that's like 360 people per state. What What is your reaction to that? And we, we only have a second or two. You and I could talk about yeah, this so all day. I, I would have to bring it back to the personal side. Uh, it isn't political. It's personal. There are families that are separated. That very, very low number will keep people apart. It will mean that others will never have the opportunity uh, to move up in the queue, you know, so to speak, in the camp that they're in. And the thing that is frustrating to me is I work in this state alongside people of both political sides. We're working together for a common good. And the politics isn't taking into account uh, our, our, 
all of our hopes and dreams and our efforts and our prayers on behalf of refugee resettlement because it has become political mm-hmm. and it's now impacting those of us that uh, our hearts are breaking as well and yet i have only i'm only an eyewitness to that heartbreak I'm, I'm not living it and so to even assume that i could understand the sadness of a mother that may not be reunited with a, a child or someone else that was, had hopes of arriving here in this coming year of 2020 and to see that the, those hopes have been taken from them for something that should not be political. Amy, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for the hard work you've done on that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Amy Wiley with us, uh, the topic refugees, and uh, it goes back to the fact that uh, the number of refugees that will enter our country over the next 12 months has been dramatically reduced by the uh, the Trump administration. And Amy is the director of the Good Samaritan Program, has worked with the governor, Governor Herbert, at the state's refugee service office. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the EPA grant to the state of Utah. I appreciate Tom Carter, executive director of UK. We'll get his thoughts on where that money is going to go because it has been designated for certain projects and what kind of effect it might have. Stay with us on Inside Sources.